You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chris Willis and I'm again joined by my good friend Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? What's up, Chris? It's good to be back on with you, buddy. It's been a minute since you and I have done one of these. We uh, we had some scheduling stuff the last couple of times, so yeah, a lot to talk about. We've obviously had a lot happen since you and I last did one. So, uh, but it's always great to do these with you, man. The Braves are about to uh, enjoy an off day on Thursday. Uh, they're coming off a two and four road trip, about to open a uh, ten game homestand. Uh, so. You know, it's pretty interesting time right now. That road trip, road trip was strange. I didn't really feel like it was like the the th- three game sweep in Toronto. It was a really weird series. Terribly played defensively. Just a lot of I don't know, a lot of random stuff. I mean, I didn't come out of there, you know, feeling like man, this team's terrible. Uh, all of a sudden, it just felt like a, a bunch of bad luck that you know kind of build up on them. But how did you feel about it? Yeah, that the the Toronto series was um that was like seeing it's like somebody said, "Hey, do you guys want to see what it would be like if the Braves played like the worst baseball they're capable of for like three games?" And then that's what it was. Like the defensive stuff was really weird. You know, the Braves have been a very weird defensive team early on. They've got they've got individual parts that are talented defensively, but collectively their defense has not been really good this year. It's actually, I was looking this up uh, last night during the Rangers game, but the Braves are actually dead last and outs above average uh, on Savant baseball Savant. They're, they're 30th in the league. And that's obviously not good. That is, that is as bad as it gets. So um, the Braves definitely need to, to shore up the defense in a lot of areas. It's, and it's, and it's really everybody other than Sean Murphy. It's pretty much everybody. So, uh, but yeah, it was a really weird series. The Braves don't, for whatever reason, I don't really know the, I don't know why, but the Braves don't seem to play the Blue Jays particularly well. I think they've lost like eight in a row going back a couple of years against them. The Blue Jays just had their number in, in 2021. Obviously, we know how that season ended, but yeah, it's, it, it was a really weird series. I thought the Braves easily could have won two of those games. They obviously blew uh, the one in the ninth on Sunday and, and had chances to win the other ones. And Strider threw that incredible game on Friday, and the, and the offense just couldn't score any runs. So, yeah, it was a weird series, and I, I honestly, after that last game was over and they blew the lead and, and got swept, I, I pretty much flushed it immediately. I just like, you know what, this is one of those, in 162 games, you're just going to have a bad stretch of games, you're going to have a bad series, and this was this was kind of it for the Braves. So I I've, I flushed it pretty hard after that after that sweep. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, like you said, it's one of those series that you get a good start from Spencer Strider and then, you know, Chris Bassett goes out and throws a complete game shutout. Yeah. Um, you know, three to nothing, five to two, and then, of course, six to five on Sunday. That one that one hurt when Iglesias blow, blew the save. You know, I, I'm like you. I felt like they could have won two, easily won two of three of those games. And then, you know, two two of those games uh, was played during the day with the roof open and, and the outfield uh, the outfield errors were just was just comical <laughs> in a lot of ways. I don't know any other way to describe it. It was, you know, it, I've I, normally when a, a, a batter pops a, a fly ball up, you know, I feel pretty good about it, but it was like sheer terror uh, watching that game because you just didn't know if it was going to get caught or not. Yeah. And I mean, I've never specifically heard guys talk about like playing in Toronto with the roof open. I don't know if that is that like, especially day games when the roof is open. Like, I don't know if that specific setup is unusually difficult to play in. Um, there was one play I remember in Friday night's game. I remember tweeting about this, but like there was one play where Michael Harris and Ronald Cunha Jr. both lost the same fly ball at the exact same. Like they were both staring and just like I, we have no idea where this ball is. And I don't know if I've ever seen. Of course, you see outfielders all the time lose a ball, but I don't know if I've ever seen two outfielders standing next to each other. Neither one of them knows where the ball is. Like that that doesn't happen. So. It was obviously a very weird series, um, you know, and the the outs above average stuff that I brought up. Obviously, the Braves got <laughs> the Braves got penalized very heavily for that Toronto series. There were just so many bad plays that I'm sure the Braves almost doubled their their you know their negative outs above average in that series. I know Acuna got dinged for a couple of them because you know they were technically in his position. He lost one, you know, there was that one with Ozzy where they couldn't figure out who was going to catch it. And I think Acuna got dinged for both of those. So, um, but yeah, it was weird. It was a really weird series. And I really, I'm happy to never think about it again. The good thing was, it's just like you said, is the good thing about baseball is there's always another game to be played the next day. And uh, they did that. You know, they, they continued their trip in Texas against the Rangers, who were currently leading the American League West division. Uh, took two out of three, blew them out in Monday's game 12 to nothing, lost seven to four, and then came back, came from behind and won Wednesday six to five to going into the off day. I thought this was a good bounce back series. The Rangers, you know, are playing pretty well. Uh, and we're without Corey Seager for two of those two of those games. Uh, Jacob Degrom's not is on the injured list right now, uh, but you know that that team's that team's playing pretty well. They're leading their division. I thought the Braves did a pretty good job of uh, you know, and they always have done this. I think this is one of the one of the things about this team that's been talked about a lot, but I think it gets overlooked sometimes is just how they can handle adversity. I mean, they lose four straight and then just, you know, forget about it, move on and, uh, you know, focus on the task at hand. But uh, taking two out of three to end that trip, I thought was pretty big. Yeah, it's funny because after, you'll remember this, but after the Braves played Baltimore, you know, everybody on Twitter, I, I, I mean, every single person I saw on Twitter was had some version of, Hey, the Braves took two out of three, but I'm really impressed with Baltimore, right? Like everybody was su- everybody went got away from that series, super impressed with Baltimore. That's how I felt about Texas, because Texas is really, really good. And remember, they didn't have Corey Seager or Jacob DeGrom, like you just said, for uh I think 
Seager played in the last game, and DeGrom obviously didn't pitch at all in that series, and he's coming back. He's on the mend right now. He's re, I think he's doing rehab starts at the moment, but or maybe he's doing bullpen at the moment, but I'm really impressed with Texas. They've got a deep lineup, man. They've got a ton of weapons. Um, their pitching staff has got some depth in the rotation. You know, uh, Evaldi was a really good pickup for them. Uh, Dunning has pitched really well for them. Um, you know, they... <laughs> They they brought up a rookie left-hander <laughs> to make his major league debut in the against the Braves on uh, I guess it was Monday, which was just an an unbelievable. Dis- I mean, for for fans who don't know right now, the Braves are destroying left-handed pitching. I mean, every single guy in their lineup is just mashing lefties at a ridiculous rate at the moment, and so and 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 they're actually having kind of an opposite thing with right-handers and and that's caused a little bit of the you know a little bit of the inconsistency in their offense but they're mashing lefties and so obviously that first game Monday night where they got a rookie lefty and then the Rangers brought in another lefty to to pitch like the last 3 or 4 innings and so obviously the Braves just annihilated them um and Charlie Morton had a huge start you know coming off four losses in a row I think that I think Monday would I think the the curveball that Charlie had Monday was the best curveball I think I've ever seen from him in a Braves uniform. He had I remember tweeting this. He had 20 whiffs off 31 swings off just his curveball in that game, which is 20 whiffs off one pitch in one game is like unheard of stupid. I mean, he was running like a 65% whiff rate, um, which it is just a crazy crazy whiff rate in, in one game and so yeah that was a huge series that was a really good bounce back you know the the Rangers two threw two tough right-handers the last two games the Braves held their own um and then had, and to come back in that last game that third game where you know there was obviously going to be an off day today and had they lost that game it would just would have felt so much different but coming back they were down 5-3 in the eighth they have the big comeback everybody contributes Acuna's as hot as we've ever seen him, maybe. I mean, maybe other than that stint during his rookie season against Miami, but he's as hot as, I mean, he's he is just crushing everything. And, you know, Riley got a couple big hits. Arcia had a big home run. Ozzy got a couple big hits. It was just nice to see the offense really pick up against right-handed pitching. That's really been their thing. So, yeah, really good series win against what I think is a really good team. I'm more impressed with Texas. I'm as impressed with Texas as everybody else was impressed with Baltimore when we played them a couple of weeks ago. You mentioned Dane Dunning, you know, and he began he, – he spent the whole month of April in their bullpen, you know. Yeah. So that's the kind of pitching depth the Rangers have. And I, I agree with you. I kind of over – they got off to that good start. And, you know, I, I've just always ca- kind of had in my head that, you know, that's the Astros division. Uh, but, you know, getting to see Texas up front, uh, up close like that for three games now, I don't, I'm not so sure, you know, anymore. I think this team, especially if they get, you know, their guys healthy and can keep them healthy, uh, you know, that's a good team. That's a that's a team that could definitely be in the postseason. Um, you mentioned the Orioles. I mean, quietly, we didn't really talk. I don't think we talked enough about this, but the Braves are in the middle of a, what's a really – uh, rough stretch as far as the schedule goes. I know you know there was some. There's always some criticism. It seems when they're they're winning a bunch of games and and they're playing less than 500 teams. But they they've been in a stretch now where they really haven't seen any uh, below 500 teams. The Orioles, like you said, they took two out of three. Red Sox. Uh, they split a two game series with the Red Sox. The Red Sox coming into that series had won eight of nine. So, you know, there is not like they weren't playing good baseball. Then another American League East opponent and the Blue Jays got swept there. 
AL West leader Rangers took two out of three. And now they're coming home to play the Mariners, Dodgers, and Phillies. And, you know, while everybody was not paying attention, the Dodgers have suddenly figured things out. And uh, I do believe have the best record in the National League. So, I mean, this is a – the Phillies are below 500. We'll talk about them again here in a minute. But, you know, this is a really – big stretch right here and I mean I think if they can if they can finish this gauntlet off and uh you know still be above 10 games above 500 still maintain this NL East lead man it's it's going to be huge uh but uh, you know we've got a big week coming up yeah well I mean anytime you got to play I mean the AL East is for people that don't know the AL East is absurd I mean just to keep just to put it in perspective how ridiculous the AL East right now is you know the the AL Central, the winner, the current leader of the AL Central has 24 wins, and the current leader of the NL Central has 24 wins. So they have 24 wins, and and both in the AL Central and the NL Central, that is enough to to lead the division. In the AL East, the Boston Red Sox have 24 wins, and they're in fifth place. So the Boston Red Sox are 24 and 20. They're four games above 500, and they're in fifth place and seven and a half games back. In that division, I mean the the AL East is just stupid good. I mean all five teams can beat you, and the Braves just had to play three of them. They played three of them back to back to back, and then they had to play Texas, and then they've got the Seattle coming in, who's a good team. Then they have the Dodgers, of course, and then the Phillies. Phillies are probably the worst of that bunch. Um, so, yeah, it is a it is a tough stretch, and you know. Other than the, you know, if you take away the Toronto series, which just a bunch of weird stuff happened in that series that I really don't even expect to ever happen again, then the Braves really held their own. I mean, they they took two out of three from Boston and Texas. They, or I'm sorry, with Baltimore and Texas, they split with Boston. And then they just had a disaster series against Toronto. And so, you know, even if you picked up one of those games there, then, you know, it would you would be feeling a lot different about this, this road series or this road trip. So, yeah, it's a tough schedule. It doesn't get any easier. Thankfully, the, the schedule in June does lighten up a bit. Um, they get kind of the, you know, Colorado, Detroit, uh, Cincinnati, Washington kind of train that the Mets were on for a couple weeks. Um, so yeah, they just got to hold serve in May. Just, you don't have to, you know, they built up a big enough lead where they can, they can hover for a little bit. I mean, they don't have to just go gangbusters if, if they just kind of hover and survive this May schedule and, and, and things open up a little bit in June, then yeah, they'll be fine. It's also worth mentioning that they've navigated this difficult stretch down two starters, including yeah. Max Freed. You know, there's there's two bull, bullpen games mixed in there. I mean, just the you know, it, I mean, when I think when you look at the whole big picture of it, you know, it's a pretty impressive run. But I did want to talk about the division here real quick, just as uh, just before we head back into this homestand. But Braves are twenty seven and sixteen, got a four and a half game lead over the Marlins. Miami's twenty three and twenty one. And is the only other team in the NL East above 500. But the fun, the funny thing about this, and I've been watching this now for about three weeks, is they have a minus 52 run differential, which is the worst in the National League. They're something like 13 and one in one run games. I remember a few years back. I don't remember how far back, but I think Texas actually had this thing. They actually won the division or won the wild card because they won a bunch of one run games. You know, it was it was kind of fluky and the next year they were right back at the bottom. I'll be interested to see if Miami can keep this up 
you know, um, <laughs> or how long they can keep this up. But, you know, it just doesn't look sustainable. The Mets look like they might have finally figured something out. They've been struggling uh, to won a series against Tampa Bay, which has not many teams have done at all this season. Um, they're 22 and 23, six games back. And then the Phillies, like we said, Phillies have been this Jekyll and Hyde team. They won five straight and then turn around and lose four straight. They're 20 and 23, seven games back. Uh, but you know, those head to head games in the division, those are going to be big. And I expect, you know, I expect the Phillies to be, to be playing well by the time they get to Atlanta, you know, as far as that goes. But, uh, I mean, what are you? What are your thoughts on the NL East right now? Now that we're you know a month and a half into the season, yeah, I, the the Marlins are not a good team, and I know what their record says. But I remember in 2018, the first year the Braves won the division and kind of started this run, the Phillies were right there with them for like all the way through August, right? But the Phillies had the exact same thing that the Marlins had. They had a terrible run differential. They were winning a ton of one run games. They get to September and it all just collapses and the Braves win the division easy and that's you know you can you can fake a record for a little bit and you know maybe Miami adds some stuff and they improve their overall talent level but at their current talent level they're not a good team and they don't match up well with the Braves because like I don't know why but it seems like they had Sandy and they decided that every other pitcher on their staff needed to be left-handed and that just is not a good matchup against the Braves and so they're going to have they're going to struggle against Atlanta all year and the Braves have beaten uh Sandy a couple times with Elder on the mound so yeah I I I'm not a believer in Miami I still think and this is weird because they haven't been good but I think the Phillies still scare me more than anybody on in the division I, I don't I think the Mets are I think the Mets offense is just really poor and I think well not really poor that's probably too strong I think it's average but the Mets you know the Mets sold out for these four these two 40 year old pitchers and both guys have looked really mediocre and you know father time is undefeated and and you know they got some young kids that have come up and and if they can give them a spark then that might be something but you know Bryce Harper Trey Turner Kyle Schwarber Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, like that, that, that group of stars scare me more than anybody else has in the division. And, you know, they might play like crap all year. They might never find it, but like, it's not hard to see a scenario where all those guys start playing really well and they, that team just takes off. So I I think the Phillies are, if I had to like put money on it right now, I think the Phillies are the second best team in the division. They're not playing like it. They, I think they've lost like four in a row coming into today. But, um, but that that's kind of been what they're doing all year. They they've really just been kind of idling at at five hundred or below, kind of like the Braves were last year, honestly. But they have a lot of talent, and that's you know I look at talent. I think talent matters more than record at this point in the season. And the Phillies have talent. You know, again, they got Harper, they got Trey Turner, two guys that always kill the Braves. Schwarber, they got Rio Muto. You know, obviously they lost Hoskins for the the season, which hurts them, but. And then they got those two studs at the front, and you know that 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 matters. And so, I, if I had to pick a team that I'm most worried about long term in terms of actually challenging the Braves for a division title, I think right now I'd pick the Philly. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I th- I still I've said all along I thought it was the Phillies too, and it, and just for the same reasons that you you mentioned. I mean, Trey Turner's going to get hot. We know that yeah. Bryce Harper's back. You know, the Hoskins injury hurts. You know, but I think it's still the same sort of questions about them that it's always been. You know, how good are they defensively? And then their bullpen's been 
bad at, at times, and they've just not been able to sustain a whole lot. There's rotation questions there, but I mean, every, every team's got questions. I mean, the Braves, you know, if you're setting, if you're a Philadelphia fan right now, and you're looking at the Braves, you're thinking they can't sustain this with without Max Fried and Kyle Wright for two more months. So, yeah, you know, I think it is. I agree with you. I expect them to be playing come into that series in Atlanta focused and and we're going to see the uh, better version of that Phillies team than what we have seen so far the Mets you know like you said uh, the Mets I think are showing a little desperation although on one hand I think it's a little bit of desperation but on the other I think these two kids should have been up a lot sooner they called up Mark Vientos uh, Brett Beatty's already been up you know they've got some they've got to figure out how they're going to get these guys in the lineup you know, I think they've got some uh, some question marks there. Uh, Pete Alonso hit a big home run this week, but he had been kind of quiet. You know, I still think with them, you know, everybody everybody lauded those contracts they gave to Mark Canna and Starlin Marte, and Marte's got a five eighty eight OPS. Canna's six seventy. You know, those guys are older guys. They've been banged up. They're not producing now. You know, I mean, it doesn't really matter when you can go out and spend whatever you want. Uh, but, you know, I think that was a lineup that we all pretty much agreed we thought overachieved last year. And they spent a lot of money to keep them together. So, you know, if, if those young guys don't come in and really give them a lift, you know, I just don't think that is a very good offensive team. Uh, and then, you know, their pitching's a mess as, as well. So, you know, it's going to be fun. Uh, the NL East, is, uh, it's just weird to see Miami up there that high, especially after the way the Braves, you know, just pretty much waxed them when they when they saw them earlier in the season. But, uh, you know, Yuri Perez is up now, but Jazz Chisholm's out for four to six weeks with turf toe. So, you know, it's like they get somebody and then they they lose somebody too. But uh, it is it has been fun. Jorge Soler has been hitting the ball uh, and and playing well. Uh, so you know that's that's always fun to see if you're a Braves fan. And one one thing I want to add to this conversation is, and this is kind of overarching for the league, is you know now that we've moved to a balanced schedule where you don't play your division as much as you used to. For people that don't know, with the balanced schedule, you now play each division opponent. Uh, 12 or 13 times, or no, it's 13 times, I'm sorry, 13 times a year. Uh, and before it was 19 times a year. And instead of playing your division over and over and over again, now you play all the teams in the league at least once, which I love. We've talked about this a bunch, but I love it. I love being able to play the Rangers and the the Orioles and you know Blue Jays and all that stuff. But one thing I do wonder is how tied they are to this division model when you're playing all the teams more and do they at some point go to a more of a conference or, or a league model like the NBA does where, you know, you just take kind of the top eight in the National League and the top eight or top six, I'm sorry, top six in the National League, top six in the American League. You know, when you're playing all the teams and you're not so focused on your division, I do wonder how fair it is that, you know, the NL Central gets to you know they could they they don't play each other a ton and you know they can all be really average because they have to play the rest of the league so much but one of them still makes the playoffs because they you know because they they won a really bad division i don't know it's something i've been thinking about I, i'm curious to see how interested they are in keeping the division obviously the good thing about divisions is it's the rivalries right like these natural rivalries kind of get made the Braves and the Mets Braves and the Phillies all the other you know uh, divisions have these same sort of rivalries, the uh, Cardinals and the Cubs, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, uh, Dodgers, Padres is a good one. So there's reasons to keep them around, but I do wonder now that we've moved to a balanced schedule, 
if that's something they'll look at later on down the road of, of maybe trying to get it more league-based than division-based. And, you know, maybe not. We'll see. I don't know what they'll do. But it has something that's been on my mind the last couple of days. Yeah, and that'll be something to watch too is, um, you know, hopefully it looks like this Oakland situation is going to get played out eventually. And I think we're going to see – expansion in the near future yeah. you know which will yeah. probably take us to four divisions if they keep the division model it'll probably take us to four divisions in each league but uh you know i'm sure that's something we'll be hearing more about over the during the off season but uh all right i tell you what we're going to take a break right here and then we're going to come back and talk about the rotation you know heading into this uh mariner series you know the braves braves still have question marks as far as their rotation uh, you know, we talked about it a little in the first segment. Uh, Brian Snicker said during the last homestand that, you know, it's just a situation where being without Max Free and Kyle Wright is just going to co- cause them to have to kind of piece it together. You know, there's no magic bullet that they can call up or they can trade for or they can, they can sign a guy at this uh, in May. You know, it's just not going to happen. Teams, there's too many teams still in the hunt. Uh, you know, teams aren't ready to sell yet. If you are, we're going to make a trade now, you know, you're going to pay three times the price of what what you will, you know, as you get closer to the deadline. So, you know, we've seen a little bit of that on this trip, uh, this road trip. You know, we've seen a bullpen game to close out last homestand. We saw another bullpen game. And then Jared Schuster came up and uh, actually made a start in Texas. So, you know, just looking at it, it looks like Bryce Elder's going to pitch Friday, the Friday's opener. Saturday and Sunday still to TBA. I was looking at this today. Dylan Dodd last pitched on May 14th, and he is not listed for Gwinnett. Gwinnett doesn't, hasn't announced its starters for Saturday and Sunday yet, and I'm sure that's not a coincidence. So Dodd would be an option for Saturday. A bullpen game would also be a possibility for Saturday. And then Schuster, who's still on the roster, you know, he wasn't sent back down after his after his start, and that's usually a signal that uh, – you know, that he may be in line to make another one. He would be in line for Sunday. You know, I wanted to talk to you. I've seen a lot of feedback about the bullpen games, and I, I've got, you know, I, I honestly think they're not the worst strategy in the world. The problem is is you just can't do commit to it once every five, every four days. You know, you can't um, – the Braves have benefited from some off days here uh, in the last week or so. But, you know, they're about to play, I believe, uh, 12 – 14 games in a row you know without an off day so I don't know how many how many times they can really go to this well but you know when you've got a bullpen with guys like Colin McHugh Michael Tonkin Jesse Chavez Dylan Lee's shown that he can go multiple innings when you've got that many guys that can go multiple innings you know, it it does make some sense when you can when you can fit one in. You know, obviously, I don't, I just don't know that you can do that in a eight or nine straight day segment of the schedule. Yeah, I mean that's you know the only good news about the Max Freed news that came down was when it came down because the Braves had you know three off days and uh, you know in a span of two weeks and so they could really max out the bullpen and, and, and do bullpen games. And obviously they did a bullpen game against Boston. Uh, they did another bullpen game, I think Sunday against Toronto. Um, and so, you know, the, the off days afforded them that, that it now doesn't afford them because like you said, the Braves play, I think they play 13 straight games before their next off day. And so, I, I don't see how you can continue to roll this out. I think eventually they're going to get to the point where they just get five starters back. 
And, you know, even if they don't love the five starters, at least they'll have a, a somewhat rested bullpen, you know, every game instead of, you know, because that's the tricky thing. When you do a bullpen game, it's not just about that game, but it's about the next two or three games and who's down and who's available and how many pitches did they throw in the bullpen game, you know. And, you know, if we're being honest, the bullpen's not exactly, you know, throwing lights out baseball at the moment either. So it's tough to do an entire game with a bullpen when you don't really know exactly which guys you trust at this point. So, yeah, my guess is I, I think you're right. I think I think they'll bring Dot up for Saturday's game and Schuster will just stay uh, around. Well, I don't know if he'd be ready to pitch for Sunday. Yeah, he would be. be yeah, pitch. he would be in line Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be ready to pitch Sunday's game. So, yeah, I think that's what they'll do. I think they'll just go back to five starters and, and let these guys, you know, Schuster had a pretty solid game against Texas. Texas is a team not unlike the Braves that destroys left-handed pitching. And so I was I was not terribly excited about that matchup. And, you know, he wasn't great, but I felt like he held his own. He kept the team in the game. And I know that's what Snit cares about more than anything at this point. So I think he's at least earned another start. Seattle is no nowhere near as good an offensive team as Texas is. So, you know, that's an advantage at least a little bit. So I, I do think that we'll, they'll – send down a reliever or, or IL a reliever and um, and get five starters back because, you know, when you play 13 straight games, it's really tough to do bullpen games because you just, you have no breaks and you have no chance to rest guys. And, you know, I'm hoping the Braves get a few blowouts in this stretch. You know, blowouts really help bullpen management. And so that will help a lot. But I, I'm guessing you're going to see Dodd and Schuster up for the next few weeks at least until they get back to a, a part of the schedule where they get some some off days yeah I agree and I mean talking about Schuster I thought Schuster looked a little different than what he did in those early two starts I thought he attacked strike zone and really only had a three batter stretch there that that yeah. killed him you know I mean uh, Douglas Garcia hit the homer and uh you know he recovered there was some loud contract uh, contact after that uh after that homer but he got through it I thought it was thought it was honestly great that uh you know they pulled him before he really went through through the order for a third time I mean he was only at 66 pitches which tells you that he was you know he was attacking the strike zone didn't work out because Dylan Lee came in and gave up gave up runs you know but I thought you know that was one time that they actually did manage to the you know to the what the numbers say as far as a, a rookie pitcher going through an order like Texas is for the third straight, you know, for the third time. So, you know, I think they can manage, <clears throat> you know, you can manage Dodd and Schuster starts a little bit like bullpen games. You know, if they can get you off the ground two times through the order, four, th- four or five innings, you know, then you can just kind of pick and choose and, and then bring, you know, go to the bullpen there. But like you said, you know, we need this bullpen to pitch a little bit better than it has been as well. You know, obviously getting a lot of, always getting a lot of questions about Mike Soroka. When's he going to fit into this mix? And, you know, I think the injuries to Freed and Wright definitely probably pushed the timeline up a little bit. But at the same time, I think the Braves have a plan for Soroka. They're not really sharing it. And I don't, I don't know that they're going to uh, deviate from it too much. You know, I think it could be a while before we see him. Still, I think he made his eighth. He's made his eighth start at, at Gwinnett. I'm not sure exactly, you know, how long how long they'll want him to go. I think he is now pitching on normal rest. So you know, he could figure into this mix at some point. But uh, you know, what are your thoughts on how they've kind of handled Soroka so far? Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about it, right? We talked about it. I think the last time you and I were on here together that 
The injuries should definitely move up the timeline, but I didn't. I didn't think the Braves would be. I thought with you know if you took Soroka, Schuster, and Dodd as a as a trio, I thought the Braves would be least aggressive with Soroka, and they would be most aggressive with the other two. But just because you know the the upside of Soroka is so much higher, and so you're 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 willing to be more patient because there's a bigger payoff at the end. Whereas like with Dodd and Schuster, like you know. I'm not really sure these guys are I think these guys are probably what they are. They're kind of fifth starters in a major league rotation. You know, they can definitely get a little better with more seasoning, but you know, they they kind of are who they are. Whereas whereas Soroka obviously has pitched at the major league level before at a really high level. And so if you get that if you can get that guy back, then the payoff is a lot more. So they're gonna take their time. I I and that's what I thought they would do. That's what I think they should do. I think it's the right move. Like you said, you know, the first four or five starts he had, he was pitching on six and seven days rest, um, which is obviously not normal in a major league rotation. You can't be in the majors until you can pitch every fifth day, or, you you know, you can't be in a rotation until you can pitch every fifth day. So the last three or four starts, I think he's been on regular rest, which is obviously a good sign that, that shows that they're progressing towards being more comfortable with him. You know, his numbers in AAA aren't amazing. Um, you know, he's got a 491 ERA. Uh, but it, it comes with a 372 FIP, so he's got a little bad luck. The Double A guys have got like a 370 uh, batting average of balls in play against him, which is obviously high. Strikeouts are good, walks are good. Um, you know, he's not throwing a ton of innings still. He's made seven starts and thrown uh, 30 innings. So, you know, they're they're taking they're bringing him along very slowly, and that's what they should do. That's exactly what they should do, unless somebody else goes down. God forbid, you know. If somebody if they get another injury in the rotation, then that obviously changes things. But as long as you can throw Don Schuster and and survive, then that's what they're going to do until either Soroka's ready or we get a little farther down the schedule where you could start actually looking at maybe trades. Um, it's just not feasible at this point. So, yeah, I, I I this is what you and I talked about. This is kind of what we thought they would do. They'd be they'd still take Soroka pretty slow, and yeah, that looks like what that that looks like what they're going to do. We got word earlier this week of another guy that could enter this mix, I think, at some point, uh, although it would be extremely aggressive. But A.J. smith Shaver is uh, going to make his Gwinnett debut Friday. He's made just five starts this season, three at high Rome, two at Mississippi, and now he's at Gwinnett. He's been lights out. You know, this was a not not a top 100 guy uh, coming into the season. But, you know, our minor league guys have, have just raved about him. He hasn't allowed a run in 21 innings. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he does at Gwinnett. But, I mean, if we've seen anything over the last couple of years, we know if the Braves think he can contribute, uh, you know, Alex will get him up here and he'll get him in the major leagues and, and right away. Because, I mean, we saw that. I mean, Michael Harris, I think, was a little bit of a stretch, not as much of a stretch, but Barton Grissom, you know, uh, coming from a 40-game stint A last year because they just he was the best option they had. You know, I think that's this is kind of a similar situation. I think if they get into a spot where, you know, Dodd and Schuster struggling, they've got to have a guy make a start. If uh, if Smith Shaver, you know, keeps his head above water at Gwinnett, I think he's going to get a shot. I think that's one reason they've pushed him as hard as they have. But uh, did it surprise you when you saw that, uh, you know, he was already in Gwinnett? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, you know, obviously we have a, a minor league team that covers the minors for the site and, we're all in obviously a Slack group together and talk all the time. And, you know, there's just been conversation that, 
you know, he's been he's looked really good in Double A, but he hasn't been there that long. We we all thought he would be maybe June before he got called up to Triple A, and so, you know, <laughs> when he was called up, you know, that quickly, it it was a very clear indication that the Braves feel like he can help this team this year, and with the injuries they have in the rotation and 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 Max and Kyle being down for as long as they're going to be down, then, you know, if you feel like you got a guy in in the minors that can help you on the mound, then yeah, I mean, push him. I mean, what's the harm? Um, our own Scott Coleman had a good point that he brought up on Twitter about, you know, dub, the double A leagues are using a weird kind of tacky ball. Uh, like it's got more tack on it than a regular baseball. And there's been a lot of dialogue around the league about not wanting your top prospects to use a different ball than what they're going to use when they get to the majors. And so there was some conversation around whether or not they called him up early just so he could avoid having to use that ball. Um, and that could be part of it, but I, I think it's mostly, they just need depth. They need options, and they know that if they get another pitching injury, then you know it's Mike Soroka, a couple of you know uh, lesser-known guys at AAA. They've they've signed a couple of guys off the waiver wire. Justice Sheffield, another guy I can't remember his name, but Derek, Derek yeah, Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Derek Rodriguez. And and you know, listen, neither one of those guys are anything special. That's why they're available, but. Um, but yeah, they need depth. I mean, they need more depth and, and, you know, AJ is obviously a guy they feel like can be that. And so I'm excited. He's the best, probably, I don't think it's close, probably the best prospect the Braves have, um, you know, depending on where you've put Vaughn Grissom and, and, and Braden Shoemaker in that, in that order. But yeah, I think he's the Braves number one prospect and, and he's very talented and listen, the Braves need help. They need help in the rotation and, you know, I'm. I obviously every day I'm hoping Michael Soroka figures it out and gets back to the to the majors. But if that doesn't happen, and you get somebody else go down, or you know Dylan Dodd starts looking shaky or Schuster starts looking shaky, then I mean you need options. You got to have depth. You need pitching, and so it's a big deal to have him back. And we didn't put him on our outline just because he's been out for so long. But there's also Colby Allard, who's should be coming back from his. Uh, oh, he had, a, I think, an oblique strain. Oblique strain, on. yeah. Snit said he thought during the Boston series he was asked about Allard, and uh, uh, he said he thought he had begun throwing, which is good yeah. news. But, you know, obviously there's been no talk. Uh, they don't usually uh, announce minor league rehab assignments like that when the guy's already probably in the minors. But, you know, I expect him to start down maybe at the complex level and work his way up at some point. But, yeah, I mean, you know, that's another guy that could be in the mix as well. Yep. So they, they, you know, obviously when you lose your top two of your top three starters, like that hurts the major league rotation, but it also just crushes your depth because now pieces that you thought of as depth pieces are now in your rotation. And so now if you get more injuries, then it, it really stretches you. And so the Braves are in a desperate attempt to try to build back their depth and, you know, that's smart. That's what you need to do. All right, just to close this thing out, I wanted to talk about a couple of players. Orlando Arcia, uh, you and I, I mean, I, I know I've been guilty of this. I, I've, you know, I wasn't I wasn't crazy about the idea of him being in the, the opening day shortstop. I just didn't think there was much upside there. You know, I kind of, I've kind of looked at his career numbers before you got to Atlanta and, and, 
just felt like that eventually he was going to he was going to regress to the to the mean. You know, I know you you kind of spoke up in favor of him last year because he had a nice season last year. But you know, I just got to say I was wrong. I've been dead wrong about this guy, and it's kind of it's kind of clouded me a little bit. I, I think you uh, about how I evaluate players and, and look at them because I mean he's made a he looks like a different guy from when he was in Milwaukee. You know, let's just let's just get put that out there first. But I mean, game winning home run Wednesday, and like you said that. That changes going into an off day. That was just such a big win, and you know he came up clutch again. Returned from the IL uh, after that after that uh, micro fracture in his wrist. Uh, didn't go on a rehab assignment. I think he worked out two days. He since then he's eleven for thirty one, five doubles, two homers for the season. He's hitting three forty two. 405, 592, four homers, 169 weighted runs created plus. Look, you know, I'm you're not gonna hear me be critical about Orlando RCA anymore. You know, I mean he's he's proven me wrong. You know, this is where it's at. I he's got a four twenty seven Woba and a three ninety expected Woba. You know, so there's a little regression here. I mean, I I don't think anybody expects him to hit three forty for the season. But even if he just gets down to that three ninety expected, you know, ex- expected Woba you know, you're still talking about a, a top of the line shortstop here at this point, especially when you consider what he's what he's making. You know, as what they're paying him, and uh, you know, it's just like he just solidifies the defense, and then he goes out there and he gets big hits. You know, that's what he does. So, you know, I I was wrong. You know, and that's that's it. And I'm 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 gonna wear it. And um, you know, I just hope he keeps proving me wrong every day. Yeah, I mean. Listen, I, I, I stuck up for him last year, but even I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I saw this level of play coming. I thought, you know, what I loved about him last year was that there was real improvement in his batted ball, the raw numbers, right? Not just the results, because the results can always trick you in small samples, but you can't fake hitting the ball harder than you ever have before. Like that's, there's no faking that. Like if you're doing that, then that shows real improvement somewhere. And that's what I was excited about last year was it looked, you know, he had added like two or three miles an hour to his average exit velocity from what he had ever done at any point in Milwaukee. And he's kept it up. I mean, he's actually increased it this year. And so it it really did feel like a guy that was hitting, hitting the ball harder, hitting the ball with more authority. You know, he's got a decent idea of the strike zone. He takes his walks. He doesn't strike out too much. Um, You know, I, I I think he's going to regress a little bit. He's not, I mean, he's got like a 160 WRC plus or something this year. Like he's not that guy. Like he's not Juan Soto all of a sudden. So we need to temper expectations. Like he's, you know, a good season for him. Like if you told me that Orlando RC was going to play solid defense and just have a, a 100 WRC plus and batting somewhere eighth or ninth in the order, I would take that and I would sprint to the postseason with it. I would be so fine with that. And so, I don't want people to think like this is who this guy is. He he's not gonna be he's not gonna hit like this all year. He's got some BABIP stuff that's gonna come down, you know, like you said, he's got some expected stuff that's gonna come down. But he is very, very clearly and and not just off the results, but off the raw data, he is very clearly a better hitter than he ever was in Milwaukee. He's made swing changes, he's made changes to his body, he's a bigger guy. I mean, he runs like a mailbox now. He's definitely sacrificed some athleticism, but he's he's a better hitter, and so and that matters. And and we've seen that. And you know, he he crushes left-handed pitching, which you know it seems like everybody in the Braves does. Um, but you know, he's been really good, and he's 
he's made all the plays at short. You know, he can't make the spectacular play at short anymore because he doesn't have the range that he used to, but he makes all the 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 solid plays, right? He doesn't he doesn't make really any errors. He he catches all the balls he can get to and then he hits, you know, he's been hitting unbelievably well. So yeah, I, I definitely was high on him last year. I was never this high on him. I never thought he would be this capable and, and could be a starting shortstop. And like you said, he's making nothing. He's making like $2 million a year, which is just pennies in, in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, it's been amazing, and he's he's definitely helped. I mean, there's been guys that gotten off to slow starts. Riley, you know, Michael Harris, a couple of guys that are just haven't found it yet. But, you know, the fact that Arcia has done what he's done has kind of covered some of that up. So it's been it's been awesome, and I'm super happy for him. Everybody will tell you he's a tremendous guy and a great teammate, and, and everybody loves him. So really happy for Orlando that he's found a home in Atlanta. You know, they got them from Milwaukee for basically spare parts. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing you have to remember. I mean, he was still pretty young. I mean, he's just tw- about to turn 29 now. So, you know, still, you know, that was it's, it was just, you know, they had – Milwaukee was going in a different direction at shortstop. Brace pretty much got him for nothing. He went to Gwinnett, started, you know, and I mean, you have to credit him. You have to credit Bray's player development for seeing something in him and making adjustments and him buying into it. And uh, like you said, I mean, he's hitting the daylights out of the ball. He's got 11.5% hard uh, barrel percentage, 50.8% hard hit rate. You know, which is which is unreal. Uh, so, I mean, just you know, you hit the ball hard, good things happen, and uh, and I think that's the you know that's the thing with him. But you know, like I said, he's proven me wrong. Um, I didn't think, you know, like you said, you mentioned too his range, and I I still think he's you know I agree with you. I think he's he doesn't have a lot of range, but what he does have is a soft hands good athleticism with his body and a strong arm that gets him out yeah. of a lot of trouble, you know, and that's the thing he gets to the ball quick and, uh, you know, and his his hands are soft and then, you know, he's got that big arm and, uh, you know, and then he really shows that off in a lot of plays. It makes, it makes some plays that are, are really hard, not look that hard just because, you know, he's got such a good throwing arm, but, uh, uh, you know, like uh, he's impressed me. You know, again, I was I was pretty adamant. You know, pretty pretty angry, honestly, when they sent Grissom and and Shoemaker down. But uh, boy, you know, I was wrong. Uh, he's he's proven me wrong every step of the way. Uh, before we get out of here, there's one other guy I wanted to talk about, and I thought you you dropped something in the Slack uh, group today. It got me uh, kind of looking work uh, looking about him. But Matt Olson got off to a great start, but. Um, you know, there's been some some strangeness with his season. I mean, he's still got 132 weighted runs created, plus 11 homers, 367 on base percentage. His batting average is down to 230. But I think the thing that's really jumping out at me is uh, he's walking almost 17% of the time, but his strikeout rate's at 32.1%, which is by far uh, the highest of his career. And May's hitting 190, but he's still got a good on base percentage. The strikeout rate's twenty seven percent, with a twenty percent walk rate. I think it's. I think it's. I, I think if I really looked a little, drilled down a little, looked a little closer, a lot of those strikeouts have come in this last week or so because it just seems like he's been striking out a lot. But you know, you brought it up today. I mean, his, his uh, contact in the zone on strikes is seventy one point nine percent, which is really low. You know, for somebody uh, somebody that's uh, uh, regarded as a pretty good hitter the way Olson has, but. What do you think about Matt Olson's season? 
Yeah, it's been a really weird year for Matt. He's he's almost become a little Joey Gallo-ish with his kind of three true outcomes. He's hitting rockets when he hits the ball. I mean, he's hitting the ball super hard. He's crushing the baseball when he makes contact. Or he's taking walks. He's walking at an incredible clip. Or he's striking out. And, you know, that kind of became the Joey Gallo profile for a while. And even Acuna has kind of run that profile a couple of years, um, even, you know, when he came up. So you can run a profile like that. I mean, walks in power will take you a long way, especially as a first baseman. And listen, he's got a 132 WRC plus, so it's not like he's having a bad year. I mean, I think he's on pace for like a four win season right now. I think he's got one win and we're about a quarter of the way through the year. So, you know. If you get, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's always strange to me. If you got, if you told me that I was going to get a four win season out of Matt Olson, he was going to have a WRC plus over 130. I would probably take it in a heartbeat and not really care about how he got there. But, you know, people do really care about how he gets there. People don't like strikeouts. Um, I don't mind strikeouts, honestly. You know, the Braves have kind of shown the last few years that they don't really care about strikeouts. I mean, they, they're always in the bottom 10 or sometimes even the bottom five in contact rate. And, but they're always in the top five and runs scored. Strikeouts are not as big a deal as people think they are. A lot of traditional fans hate them to a, hate them to their core. And, you know, it's not as big a deal as people think, but it is weird the way Matt is striking out because like I, like I, I said in the Slack, a lot of his swings and misses are coming on pitches in the strike zone, which is very strange usually for major to strike a major league hitter out, you have to go out of the zone to get him to swing and miss. And Matt's swing and miss percentage on pitches out of the zone is right in line with his career numbers. But his pitches in the zone, it's where that's where he's missing more than he ever has. You know, his I think his career swing and miss on pitches in the zone is like 78, 79%. And he's at like 71% this year, which is really low. It's one of the, I think it's like the second or third lowest in baseball um, I mean, the best guys in baseball, if they get, if they swing in a pitch in the zone, they're, they make contact like 90, 95% of the time. Uh, that's how much major league hitters punish pitches in the strike zone. So, you know, that's, that's why I dropped it in slack because it's just a really low number. It's, it's really hard to swing and miss at that many strikes. And I don't really know what the, the cause of that is. I can't, you know, it, it is very strange. There's that, you know, that's kind of why it stuck out to me, but again, I want people to temper their expectations of what they expect from him. I mean, you know, if he puts up a four win season and he's around a 135 or even 140 WRC plus was kind of his career numbers, then I'm just not that upset about it. And I don't really care about strikeouts that much. You know, it's weird the way he's striking out. I imagine he's going to, I think Dave O'Brien had an article today about it, about him not being, overly thrilled with all the strikeouts. So it's definitely something he's working on, but you know, if this is the worst version of Matt Olson, then we're going to be pretty fine because he's still been more than playable and still on pace to have a really good year. And, you know, I think people need to reset some expectations if they're, if they're really, you know, if you're really angry with Matt Olson about the season he's had so far, then, you know, a 40 homer four win season is pretty damn good for a first baseman. And that's kind of what he's on pace for right now. So I would, I get it, but I would also it. Some of it's a little ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned how hard he's hitting the ball. I mean, his average exit velocity right now is ninety five three. His career average is ninety two seven. Uh, he's got a eighteen percent barrel rate, and his career average is thirteen point one. Um, you know, the hard hit rates up. 
I mean, like you said, if you just looked at these these numbers here, you'd think, man, this dude's having a monster, monster season. But the strikeout rates jumped up. You know, he's not chasing quite as much. He's cut it a little bit. It's like 30.7%. And uh, uh, I think last year it was 32.8. But, uh, you know, I just think I think he's not going to continue to miss strikes that much. I think we've got another, uh, you know, big stretch coming from him where he's going to get hot and hit a bunch of home runs coming up here soon. But it is, it has been a strange season for him. You know, like you said, uh, the Joey Gallo comp, I think that's a, that's a good comp, but I don't think he's doing that on purpose. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him try to sacrifice a little bit of the power to try to cut down on this swing and miss, make some more adjustments at some point. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. No, that one thing you just said there, I do want people to think about that because people always say stuff like, hey, I want this guy to cut down on his strikeouts. And, you know, if you think about why players strike out, they strike out because they get into deep counts and they strike out because they take big swings. Well, the byproduct of getting into deep counts and taking big swings is that you walk a lot as well. And then when you do make contact, you hit for a ton of power. And so if you tell a guy, hey, don't, don't, work deep into counts and don't take big swings, then you can definitely cut his strikeout rate by a ton. But what are you also cutting? You're also going to cut his walk rate and his power output. And it's possible to have a player do all that, cut his strikeout rate by a ton, and at the end end up with a worse hitter because you've taken away, you know, the things that made him great. And that's why the Braves don't really care about strikeouts that much because they know that, you know, they've never told Ronald Acuna Jr. that he needs to cut his strikeout rate. Because they know he he crushes the ball when he makes contact. He's always in deep counts. He's always going to take walks, and so there's there's value. You know the things that lead to strikeouts lead to other things that are positive. And so I'm I'm always careful when people talk about that. I you know it's not as it's not as binary as people think it is. That you know m- you know more strikeouts are bad and less strikeouts are good. Like there's there's things that lead to other things that are good that you don't want hitters to to lose so you know it's not quite as simple as just cut the strikeouts and you'll be a better hitter it, it it's slightly more complicated than that yeah and it'll be interesting to see if he does make any some adjustments i know in this article you mentioned from david o'brien you know kevin sartzer said that there was a couple of mechanical things that they were trying to work on with him uh but you know it's he's got over his last 30 games He's hit 188 with 46 strikeouts before that was coming into Tuesday, uh, Tuesday's game. So, you know, it, that's that is eye opening. He's on pace for uh, over 200 strikeouts, over 230 strikeouts, which would be be wild. His career highs of 170, and uh, that came in 699 plate appearances. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see with Olson. Like I said, he's kind of a streaky guy. We've already seen some of that, you know, last season. So, um, you know, I think if he he continues to walk like this, he's going to eventually start to barrel up a lot of those uh, strikes that he's swinging and missing again. And he's, I still think he's going to have a monster season. So, uh, like you said, though, I mean, if this is the guy we get and he's a four-win player with 35-plus home runs, I mean, there's nothing to complain about, even if he is striking out over 30% of the time. So, But I think that's going to wrap us up, unless you've got anything else you want you want to you get in here. No, I love this. I love this part of the schedule. It is, it is difficult, but I love playing Seattle and playing Texas and playing Baltimore and, and Boston and, you know, all these teams that we never got to see before. So it's a really fun part of the, uh, the schedule. The Braves start a, a big homestand. They've got the Mariners and then the Dodgers and then the Phillies. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff. Obviously, check out the site. 
We've got content every day. Chris obviously runs an amazing site. We've got a full podcast network with Brad and Scott's out of town for a few weeks, but obviously we'll still have the main show in some form or fashion. And Sean every few days with the daily hammer. Um, you know, it's just, there's, there's content nonstop on the site at all times. Come check it out. And yeah, it's a lot of fun baseball coming up. So we will be here to cover it.